This is the final week of our series uh, entitled Unspoken. We're talking about biblical prayer and learning uh, what uh, the Bible says about prayer and how we ought to pray, how, we, uh, how God intends for us to pray, and that prayer changes things. In week one, we covered a lot of ground and laid a lot of foundational work uh, talking about prayer and scriptures uh, that the Bible points out about prayer. Look to your neighbor and say, I believe prayer changes things. So by verbalizing that and saying that and stating that and making it a statement of your belief system, we need to and we ought to act that out in our lives. We need to, as Christians, be open about our prayer and our belief in it. The world we're living in, the culture is changing all around us almost on a daily basis. But we are living out an age-old truth that God himself inhabits the praises of his people and he comes near to us and when we face troubled times and situations that he is in relationship with us to help get us through the things that we're facing. So in Matthew chapter 6, we took as a text for this series, and I want to read it to you, Matthew chapter 6, verse 6 through verse 8. This is Jesus speaking about prayer in his Sermon on the Mount. It's one of the... Uh, greatest sermons ever written down. Jesus himself speaking to a crowd of people sitting on a hillside knoll. He covers so many topics, but he puts prayer in this sermon. And just as he was speaking to them in their day, in their culture, he's speaking these words to us today. But you, he says, when you pray, go into your inner room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. How many is glad that he knows you better than you know yourself? Amen. That he's intimately involved in your life. He's watching over you. He put his angels in charge over you. He is protecting you. He is leading you on the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. I'm so grateful that God knows better what I need than I even know myself. And we need to lean on that. 
Because Jesus himself, even though he's preaching this sermon to a crowd of people, later on Jesus, in the last hours of his life on this earth, found himself in a situation where that he didn't want to leave. That he had came from heaven as God himself, took on the form of a human being, was born of a virgin, lived a childhood, loved his parents, made friends, loved his family. And when he knew it was coming to an end, he was saddened. Jesus had saw what death meant to those that, had, that it left in its wake. He had stood at the tomb of his friend, Lazarus, and he saw Lazarus' sisters weeping and wailing and crying, and they even blamed Jesus that you came and you came too late. How many knows Jesus is never late? He's always on time because his time is perfect. But as his sisters were there and they were so grieved and the hurt and the pain that they were enduring, they didn't like very much. And as they stood there that day, Jesus saw the pain of Lazarus' death and what it had meant to those that loved him. And as he sees this pending doom upon his own life and he knows that his hours are numbered, and he asked his friends to go up on the hillside and pray with him, his closest friends, his inner circle. When real life situations hit us, we need those that are closest to us to help us pray. Amen? Because there's times in our life when we face things that are battles that seems daunting or unfathomable or I can't get through this. We need those around us to be there in our corner with us in those darkest, deepest hours of our life. And Jesus invites these three disciples of his to go up on the hill with me to pray. And as he's praying, I wonder if he thought back to this sermon where he told them, when you pray. Pray to your Father. So when we pray, Jesus taught his disciples that time to start out the prayer with, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? So he, he taught them how to pray to the Father. So Jesus, in this situation, I'm sure, begins his prayer with Heavenly Father. And it says that his grief and his anguish was so burdensome upon his psyche and, and what he was, he was traumatized by knowing that this pending death was coming. And fear tried to grip his heart. And Jesus came to show us a way. And in the midst of that troubled time, he still prayed. And we're going to talk about some things today that goes into some deeper depths about prayer. But Jesus walks back down the hill and he sees his disciples. And what are they doing? They're sleeping. Anybody ever get tired? Anybody wake up this morning tired? Every day you get up, you just, you sleep, you're supposed to be rested, but you're still tired. Jesus tells them, couldn't you, couldn't you stay up? Couldn't you stay awake? And it says that his sweat become as great drops of blood. That literally, he was in so much anguish, and there's 
physical conditions that happen where that you can literally sweat blood. And as this is happening, he's still crying out to his father. He said, if you can, let this cup pass from me. Could God take that burden from him? I think he could. But in the center of God's will, this pain and this anguish that was happening was intentional so that all humans could be set free from sin. So sometimes when we pray, are we praying for what's the easy route or are we praying for God's route? And even though it may seem like we're enduring some pain, it may seem like the situation is too much to bear, it may seem like this is too much for me to handle, we need to pray like Jesus did. If it be your will, let this cup pass from me. Take this burden from me. But then he ends and says, it's not my will, but thine be done. So at the end of the day, our prayers should always be, God, if it be your will. And it's not easy. Life is not easy. Can somebody say amen? amen. Life is tough. But God is with us through those storms. Sometimes he says, peace be still. And sometimes, you know, he's there and you, come, you see him come walking on the water another time when out in the middle of the storm. But when we pray, last week we talked about simple prayer. And I appreciate all the people that put out there, it's complicated. And so many posted it that brought attention. And hopefully you've used that this week to let people know praying is simple. Praying is not hard. Praying is not something you have to learn how to do. Praying is talking to God. Week one, we talked about that in the book of James, it says that the effectual fervent prayer of the righteous person avails much. That becoming righteous in right standing with God, that that happens when we surrender our life to him. Our righteousness, the prophet said, is as filthy rags. I can never become so righteous in my own actions, my own ability to control myself, that makes me in right standing with God. It's only through and by the blood of Jesus that I'm sanctified and I'm set free from the burden of sin. The only way to heaven is through and by the name Jesus. It's as simple as that. It sounds too simple. But that's what God intended. The whole Old Testament was set up with 600 plus laws that he put out that people had to live by in order to try to earn their righteousness. But they all fell short of the glory of God. Just like we, when we try to clean ourselves up before we come to church, and we'll say, well, when I get my life straightened out, and I'll get everything set in order, and I'll, I'll go home and fix this, and I'll go home and fix that, and then, then I'll come to church. You're never going to end up at church, because you're never going to get it fixed. You're never going to fix yourself. Jesus' blood is the only thing that it will ever make you righteous 
in the sight of God. Week two, we talked about prayers of blessings and how Aaron in the Old Testament, that Moses' brother, he was the original high priest, and how that God told him to pray a blessing over the people of Israel, the children of Israel, and how that we as Christians today ought to bless others. Jesus said, bless them when they curse you. Has anybody ever had somebody say some bad things about you? Hopefully every hand went up because I'm pretty sure if you don't know they said something bad about you, I'm pretty sure somebody somewhere did. But Jesus says, bless them when they curse you. It's the great equalizer. Because if we curse those that curse us, then we're no better than they. But if we bless when they curse, then we're taking Jesus aside to say, even though these bad things happen, I'm still going to be who God created me to be. Last week we talked about simple prayer, but this week I want us to go to, in the Old Testament, it's 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, and this is a, a very um, well-known portion of Scripture in the church world. You see it posted, you see people uh, quote this quite often in the Christian circle. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. It says, Then, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and forgive their sins and restore their land. My eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. For I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be a holy place where my name will be honored forever. I will always watch over it, for it is dear to my heart. As God is speaking this and initializing this to the children of Israel, I have called you to be my children. If my people. Don't you love it when you end up around your family and you know they love you and they know that they want what's best for you and, and you can look at them and say, this is my people. Amen? I love my people. <laughs> God is saying, if my people. He called them into his family. If my people, who are called by my name. So he sets out these four conditions in this text to say the things we need to do to get him to hear. First off, if my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves. God does not like a prideful look. Amen? Rick was telling me last weekend at the Back to Church event before the service began, he, he had been listening to a preacher that morning, and the preacher was preaching on, you know, in Proverbs it says, people always say pride comes before a fall. But literally the scripture says a haughty spirit becomes before a fall. So we need to watch, and pride comes before destruction. So 
it's not that the fall happens or destruction happens only with pride. Pride is thinking of ourselves more than we ought to think. Pride is something that all human beings deal with, some more so than the others. Because we always think when we think about prideful, a prideful individual, we think about somebody and we can put an image in our head of who that person is according to our standards. Right? That my standards is perfect and I know how to judge people according to my standards and I'm the one that's perfect so I can judge them according to me. And actually, in when we're doing that, we're prideful about what we believe or what we think or what my ideal as pride is. But if my people, which are called by name, will humble themselves, look at your neighbor and say, you need to be more humble. So the word humble in Scripture actually means to have a modest opinion of oneself. To have a modest opinion of oneself. So if I want God to hear me, I need to humble myself. How am I going to do that? As I stated a minute ago, can you perfect yourself in your own power? No. You know how to humble yourself? Ask God to humble you. Come on, somebody. God, humble me. My neighbor just told me to humble myself. I can't do it, so I need God's help. So we can pray for God to humble us. Heavenly Father, come and humble the people of the bridge. Make us a humble people in our society and in our world. Then he says, pray. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray. So prayer alone isn't the answer to getting the answer from God. Humility should precede prayer. It's not about having to bow our head or close our eyes or kneeling. It's not the position of our body. It's the position of our heart. So as I humble myself and I come to God and I'm praying for situations or something going on or troublesome times or whatever is happening, and I'm praying about these situations, or I'm praying for my neighbor, I'm praying for those that are afflicted, I'm praying for those that are sick and afflicted among us. As we're praying, as we humble ourselves, we're humbling ourselves when we come to God because we know I can't fix this for them or for myself. We need your help. So in prayer alone, you're already humbling yourself that God is the only one that can help. The psalmist said, I know where my help comes from. <laughs> the maker of heaven and earth. I look to the hills from what's coming with my help. We need to look up to God and humble ourselves and not have a, a more boastful opinion of ourselves than what we ought to have. So humble ourselves and pray. Another and. If my people, which are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. How do we do that? How do we seek God's face?
we humble ourselves and we're in prayer, what is seeking his face? Isaiah the prophet said, I see the Lord. He's high and lifted up. And his train fills the temple. When we see God, we see a world and we see a place of perfection. When we look up to him and we humble ourselves and we're praying and we seek his face, we're saying, God, show me who you are. Show this world your power that you have to defeat armies. Amen? When the Old Testament prophet was there and he, he had his understudy with him and he's looking and they was out there in the midst and the battle was getting ready to happen and it looked like all odds were against them. He told him to go out and see if you see anything. I see nothing. Come back to him. I see nothing. Well, you need to go back and look again. And he comes back and he says, I saw a cloud the size of a man's hand. And then he prays that God open up his eyes so he can see. And as he looked around that valley and he looked up on those hillsides and he looked at the top of the corners, he saw the angels of the army of heaven surrounding and encamped around about them. What if we could see into the heavenlies, into God realm, where that we can see and know I've got some help and there's angels that are encamped around about me. Why? Because God, when we seek his face, we will see things as though he sees them. When you're in the midst of your situations and it seems like gloom and doom and it seems like despair, look up because your help is coming from somewhere other than yourself. As you're humbling yourself and you're praying and you're seeking God's face, a realization can happen that God is way bigger than this situation. He made the heavens and the earth. The enemy he kicked out of heaven and the prophet said that I saw you, Lucifer, descend from heaven. You were cast out as lightning. Have you ever watched a lightning bolt happen and how quick that happens? That's how fast the battle between God and the devil happened. It wasn't even a fight. You see, sometimes when we're facing situations, it seems like a battle, and it seems like the enemy is, is causing all to be against us, and it's gloom and doom, and it's despair. When all that is happening, it's causing our attention to be focused upon the enemy and what he's capable of. But I'm glad that the Bible says that he goes around as a roaring lion, not being a roaring lion. The enemy only comes at you with a lot of noise and a lot of turbulence so that you will get your attention off of God. He wants to get your face to where that you're not pointed towards God, that you're not humbling yourself, you're not praying, and you're not seeking God's face. Because if he can get your eyes off of God, and he can get your eyes on situations, then he's going to divide and conquer you. Keep looking to God. In the midst of trouble, in the midst of pain, in the midst of situations, in the midst of bad accounts from a physician, or in the midst of a bad news from a doctor, guess what? I'm looking to God. And some people will say, well, that's foolish. Well, Why are you even putting your hope in that? And there's no way out. Guess what? God is our great physician. He says, I am the God that healeth thee. Healing comes from God. Seek his face means point in his direction. Look to him. 
Scripture says that he is the author and a finisher of our faith. He's still writing the book of your life if you're breathing air. And he already knows tomorrow what you will face. And our text says that he has knowledge of that and he knows what you need before you even pray it. So if my people, what's your call by my name? Everybody say, humble themselves, humble themselves. and pray. And seek his face, another and. Turn from their wicked ways. Turn or burn. I think that's what Leslie says all the time. She heard when she was a kid growing up in church. Anybody ever grow up in one of those churches where it's always hellfire and damnation and the whole world's caving in? Some of that's true. Scripture says some of them will save by that. But there's some good news in the gospel too. Amen? Amen. Let's talk about the good news. But if we turn from our wicked ways. Does anybody have any wicked ways? <laughs> anybody ever mess up? Anybody ever slip up? Anybody ever end up in a ditch? <laughs> a spiritual ditch? Anybody ever been in a physical car and end up in a ditch? <laughs> you will, especially if you let your friend drive. <laughs> and when you do that, you can sit there and you can put it in a different gear and you put it in reverse and you put it in forward. And the more you spin, what happens? The deeper you dig yourself. You need a wrecker. Amen? That's what turning from our wicked ways is. Stop Spinning your wheels. Get your foot off the gas of life. Amen? Slow down a minute. And say, I'm turning, God, this over to you. When I turn from my wicked ways, I'm turning from my situation, I'm turning from my fear, and I'm pointing myself towards God. So in doing this, these four things, he says, if my people will call upon my name, will humble themselves, pray, seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven, and I will forgive their sins, and I will restore their land. Amen. How many would like for God to heal your land? Amen. Where he would heal even the land. So as he's doing this, he says, my eyes will be opened and my ears will be attentive to every prayer made in this place. So when we come to church, modern day synagogue we want to call it. In our Christianity we come to a church service, why? To get empowered, to get uh, bolstered for the week and to, to receive God's blessing over our life for the week and to hear God's word shared. And we walk out of this place an overcomer. How many walks out of this place on a weekly basis? You come in, maybe facing a hard week, and you walk out and say, I feel like I can tackle the world. And by the time you're traveling down the road, the enemy comes and sets down your car and says, I can't believe you even thought that's even possible. What a fool you are. You think God's going to help you? <laughs> Amen. It's how it happens. And we look around, then we watch the news, and then we see this going on or that going on, and, you know, even local news, and it might be national news, and it may be world news that we watch. Do they share good news? Not very often. Graduating class, watching a bunch of kids walk across the stage, man, that's some good news. 
especially for parents, getting them out of your house. Amen. Every now and then they'll do a, on WSAZ, I th think it is, as a hometown hero, right? A hometown hero. That's pretty, that's pretty good news. Like, wow, thank you for helping out people. They act like it's a rarity that that happens. There's a lot of good people on this planet. Amen? There's a lot of good people sitting in this church. There's people that help people here. There's a lot of good news to share. But they always broadcast the bad. Well, there's a shooting on Fifth Avenue, and there's a shooting on Vine Street, and there's a shooting here, and there's a shooting there. And this happened, and they burnt this, and the car destroyed. and you know, It's just gloom and doom. God will heal our land means that he changes the news channel. That all of a sudden, the things that I've always saw the bad, there's a difference in somebody's a pessimist and an optimist, right? Which one are you? Can you judge yourself for five seconds? I know you like judging others a lot more, but can you judge yourself for five seconds and say, which one am I? So now tell your neighbor what you are. Either say, I'm an optimist or I'm a pessimist. I'm just a breath of fresh air. Not really. But as, think about this verse. This is God saying, my. This is God. My eyes will be opened and my ears attentive to every prayer made in this place. Do you pray more at home? Or do you pray more at a church service? And that's how we started this sermon series. Jesus didn't say on his Sermon on the Mount, the sermon about prayer, if you pray. He said when you pray. Be in prayer all week long. Apostle Paul said, that he never ceases to pray. He talked about praying for the church. And as God says this, for I've chosen this temple and set it apart to be a holy place where my name will be honored forever. And I will always watch over it for it is dear to my heart. I really believe that God looks down and when we're sitting in a church service and we congregate ourselves together and we, we, we come in mass and we join together in one faith, in one Lord, in one baptism, and we honor God in coming to a church service and fellowshipping together. And sometimes, you know, when you walk in, you're going to be talking to some individuals. And if you don't get here early, you might ought to get here early. Come a few minutes early, get you a cup of coffee, get you a banana, and look into brighten somebody's day. Amen. Joe Don always says at the end of service, you know, have a good week. Love you all, right? Cindy always joins in with her, right? We all do that. We should. Because as we spur one another along, we encourage one another, it helps lighten the load that people are bearing. So Jesus tells us in the New Testament, too, through his brother James, that God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So you can look at that in James chapter 4, and it's a... Just go read James chapter 4 and chapter 5 too if you want to. It's a really good set of verses in the New Testament. And it's, it's, a lot of it talks about prayer in James chapter 4. 
If any sick among you, let them call for the elders of the church. Let them anoint them and pray the prayer of faith over them, and it will save the sick. We believe in prayer. Amen. The Bible tells us to lay hands upon the sick. We need to practice that. If you believe in prayer, pray for people. If you believe, like you said at the beginning of this service, that prayer changes things, then pray more often. Pray for more things to be changed. How many would like your world to be changed? Amen. How many would like our nation to be changed? How many would like for our community to be changed? Amen. So as we do that, prayer changes things. If we believe that, let's practice that. Let's act that out and let's continue to pray. Pray for one another. If you hear of somebody going through some situations in their life or you hear somebody within our church congregation that's having some issues or dealing with some things, guess what? Pray for them. Jesus is asking us as a church to be a group of prayer warriors. There are some people that's called as a prayer warrior, and I, I think there is a gifting of some people that God just gifts with, prayer, with a prayer life that exceeds that of their counterparts. But we're all called to pray. Use your gifts that God has given you. But there's a... It's 11.25. Romans chapter 8. It's one, one of the greatest chapters, I think, in all of Scripture. I love Romans chapter 8. Hebrews 11 is my favorite. But Romans 8 is second. Dr. Troy Boggs, a great evangelist and apostle in my mind, he planted numerous churches in eastern Kentucky, went to communities that had no church and planted churches. He once said if he could choose any book of the Bible and somebody would come up and say, you get to choose one book that I'm going to allow you to keep and I'm taking all the rest of your Bibles, what book are you keeping? He said, I would take the book of Romans. He passed away about a year or so ago. But Dr. Boggs was one of those people that I know that prayed and his prayers changed things. But in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that sometimes we pray and we don't know what to say. How many's ever had when, when real situations, I'm talking when it seems like the, the earth is pulled out beneath your feet and you don't even know how to pray? How many's ever been in a situation like that? That's what Romans 8 says. That you will pray with groanings and utterances that can't be understood. When the grief is so hard that you can't even get a word to come out of your mouth, but that pain is so deep and that hurt is so deep that all you can get out is a grunt. God knows what you're saying. He knows your heart. I want to go to that verse, though, towards the end of that book in Romans chapter 8, that chapter. Verse 31 says, What shall we say then to these things? 
If God be for us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It is God that judges. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that he is risen again, who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for us. Intercession is prayer. Jesus, sitting at the right hand of the Father, is praying for us today. Verse 35, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? So tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Verse 37, nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I'm neither persuaded that for I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus. You talk about encouraging words. What shall separate us from God? He lists out all these things. And Apostle Paul had been through shipwreck. He had been through all kinds of things. He had been left for dead. He had been beaten. In all these situations he found himself. Guess what? Him and his buddy was sitting there in the jail cell and they praised and sing songs to God and they saw jail doors open. Why? Because God saw fit to let them back out on the street so they could preach the gospel. Amen. Nothing shall separate us from God. We are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I'm thankful for prayer. I'm grateful for prayer. And I'm spurring you today Pray often. Humble ourselves. Pray. Seek his face and turn from our wicked ways. I think we could all learn from these four things. And I think it applies to all of us. Some may have bigger issues and bigger things to turn over to God. Some, it may just be a small thing. But the more we do these four things, he'll hear us. And we need him to hear us. Won't you bow your head and close your eyes? Father, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for this unspoken sermon series. And God, we thank you for your word that teaches us how to pray. Lord, that you make us righteous because of Jesus and you make our prayers effective and God I thank you for those that are praying prayers of blessings maybe that they never have before people of the bridge that are blessing people in the midst of persecution help us to be like you God, we thank you that even in the simplest form, that prayer is just a relationship and communication between us and you, that you hear us. 
And God, we thank you for this word today that you tell us that you want us to be humble, that you want us to pray. You want us to seek your face and you want us to turn from our wicked ways. You said when we do these things that you would hear us and you would heal our land. So God, I pray for the people of the bridge that are here in person today and those that are watching online. For those that will listen to the podcast this week. God, help us to be people of prayer. And that prayer will change us from the inside out. And God, the reason we desire this is so our friends and our family and our loved ones and our neighbors and our co-workers and those in the community would know us as people of humility. That they would know that the bridge is a church that prays. And God, that they would know that we are a church that seeks your face. And God, that we are a people that understands that we need to turn from our wickedness. That we will lay down things down that are holding us back. God, I pray for everybody here today, very simply, that we would be more like you in our actions, in our words, in how we conduct our lives. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.